Okay, mine's a second behind. <laughs> All I heard was, you know, go. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's like, oh, she's either going to start, like, singing or... Story of... <laughs> it's not good. life. Like that? <laughs> oh, shit. Hi, everybody. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Sarah. And And this this is Dead Time Stories. A weekly podcast where Sarah and I get together and talk about true crime. We talk about conspiracies, ghost stories, mysteries, supernatural, paranormal, or just the weird, eerie, whatever it is that we want to talk about that week because it's our show. And not yours. What a day. What a day. Sarah, how are you doing? Girl, I'm in the middle of tech. How do you think I'm doing? Oh, my God. Um, I think you're feeling like a mixed bag. (laughs) Uh, What I am feeling, though, is very excited to talk about what I'm going to talk about this week. Really? I'm like, I'm, I'm so excited, Stephanie. I typed out and printed out my notes this week, and it has been a hot minute. Do you, are you so excited that you want to go first or are you so excited that you want to go second because it's so special? Um, I don't know. How excited are you for your story? My story, I'm excited about it, but I feel like a bitch. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get that out of the way. Yeah. Like we're just, we're just going to like, fuck, like this is a quickie. Like there's we're, no banter. There's no foreplay. It's just like, we're just going in. We're diving into it. We're just like so revved up. We're so ready. It's a little taboo. Maybe we're in like a public bathroom. We're just right. going to get this done. Uh, your banter is it's a quickie because um, spoiler alert uh, I was super late getting home and Sarah has rehearsal so uh, we're busy it's bitches on, it's on me so the banter is your girl was late and this is what you get <laughs> <laughs> um, no but my story this week oh well then I mean we gotta sorry we have to even yeah we gotta at least give them a little the little taste you give them the little, little give them a little a little flicky flick little little flick um, whisper hey Sarah, slap on the ass. Hey Stephanie. Hey, hey Leslie. Y'all, y'all ready to talk about some, some ghosts? ghosts? Y'all ready to talk about some ghosts? Uh, um, why are you a bitch? Well, let me count the reasons why. Ooh, but <laughs> so Christina convinced me to talk about what I'm talking about this week. <laughs> So I'll say that Christina's a bitch. No, I was talking with Christina, um, uh, just talking about the experience of my lizard person roommate. And Christina was like, you know, you should talk about on your podcast what it was like living with a lizard person and in all the ways that she was a lizard person. (laughs) I guess, yeah, we haven't really gotten into it. Because I tried I mentioned little stuff, but I tried not to talk about her on the show because I thought that was, like, mean and, like, I didn't want to, like, bully. But I'm not going to share her name. I don't think I ever said who she was. Like, nobody's going to, like, find her. This isn't for anybody to, like, find and attack this person. So I'm just putting it out there um, that this is my personal opinion that this person is a lizard person. And, um, you know, don't judge her for that. She's just as God made her. So this is your... 
thesis. I think that's right. This is your thesis about these reasons for how you lived with a lizard person and why why she was a lizard person. Almost like, these like, are the facts. Uh, this is like, yeah, this is like a chronicle of my experiences with her as a lizard person. And you can decide for yourself whether or not you think she's a lizard person or just weird. So was the first sign the fact that she might have killed and maybe now eaten and disposed of her cat in the backyard? So here's the thing. When it comes to, like, the first sign, right, Christina was like, what's the first thing that made you be like, she's a lizard person? Like, she's fucking weird. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, let me think about, like, when I'm – I was like, let me think about it. And Christina asked me if she was weird from the get-go, if she was, like, immediately came off as a lizard person. And I was like, well, immediately, not really. I was thinking this, I was thinking this. But then I already started to think of ways that, like – after meeting her that like in retrospect i'm like i mean maybe she was fucking weird the whole time which um funny because some of the stories i have i do know i've talked about on the show in the past like little bits and pieces but i haven't like put it all out there Mm -hmm. so when i first met this person right I, i i feel like i've told this story because it was a different story at the time from a different perspective when i met this person and looked at this apartment It was the night of Mary Angela's birthday party two years ago, and I left Mary Angela's birthday to go look at this apartment after having looked at an apartment in Kensington, which if you're not familiar with Philadelphia, Kensington is a really, really rough, like, like heroin, meth, like it has a very bad, like drug problem neighborhood. Uh, and I won't retell that whole story again. Suffice to say, I went to look at an apartment there and I saw somebody in the middle of the day out on the stoop next door smoking crack. Like, just middle of the day, like, it was no big deal. Like, nobody would care. This person was smoking crack. You're the weirdo for thinking it was odd, so. It was a very diverse neighborhood. I saw people of all kinds of colors and backgrounds, people that look like they came from all sorts of different places, all mingling together, addicted to heroin. And not <laughs> to... I, I, it's terrible. I'm putting it out there. I know I already feel bad with this episode. I'm not trying to make light of a drug problem, and I'm not trying to make light of how this girl might seriously, like, have some issues, but, like, I also, at the same time, I'm not trying to bully anyone or hurt anyone's feelings. The purpose of this is not to, like, shun anybody that might have any of these problems, but, like, to just try and, like, talk about it from my perspective and, like, have a laugh. No judgments. Like, you can live your life how you want to live it. It was just weird. If it's Um, a lizard life, I guess. So I met this girl after looking at that apartment earlier in the day. I left Mary Angela's birthday party to go look at this apartment, meet this girl, And at the time, I didn't think anything was weird about it, right? There was stuff everywhere because somebody was clearly moving out. And she's like, my roommate's moving out. And, like, you know, this is what the backyard looks like. And, you know, I haven't done anything back there, but it's got a lot of potential. And, like, here's, you know, this room. And, like, if you want to use it, there's, there's, this will be your bedroom. This is the office. You can use it if you, like, for whatever, like, whatever you want to do in there. And I was like, okay, um, let me think about it. And I thought about it on the ride home, and I also thought about that apartment in Kensington, and I got back to Mary Angela's house, and everybody at Mary Angela's house was like, take this apartment! And I was like, fuck yeah, and I did, and the apartment was great. But my roommate was weird, like, 
right away when I moved in, right? Of course, I'm like, you know, I'm a performer. Like, I do all sorts of theater stuff. Not that that in any way means that you need to come see me perform or anything like that if that's not your thing. But, like, let me know if you want to hang out, if you want to go out sometime. I'm always out. I'm always doing stuff. I'm not always home. Because I, like, go and do things. And she's like, yeah, like, I like to do stuff. Like, well, that might be cool. And I pretty immediately noticed that she was in her room all the time. Like, all the time. And this was just me and her living there when I first moved in. Now, side note, right before I moved in, (laughs) I forgot to add this part. We both had cats, right? I had a tuxedo cat. She had a tuxedo cat. And we were talking about how cool it would be to have the two cats. But her cat was an indoor-out cat. Out, and I was like, dude, don't let my cat out. Like, he's an indoor cat only. And she's like, no problem. Right before I moved in, she Murdered. let me know. <laughs> Sarah. She let me know that her cat had died. And I was like, oh, like, I'm really sorry. That really sucks, man. And she's like, yeah, I was really looking forward to there being, like, two cats. But, like, it's just going to be the one now. It's your cat. And I was like, okay, like, no big deal. Like, you got it. So she's in her room all the time. Maybe had a person, she had a dude over once or twice, and they would just go to her room. She didn't really hang out downstairs at all. And then when Val moved in is when I really started to notice weird stuff. But that's because I wasn't home during the day. Me and Val had different schedules, and Val would tell me something happened, and I was like, what? Are you sure? I don't know. So the first thing was, like, we kept noticing these big puddles outside on the sidewalk. And we're like, where, where are these coming from? Like, what's up with these puddles? Then we started to notice that, like, not only does she never cook and she hangs out in her room all the time and, like, she's really weird if you try and talk to her. Like, she would leave. Anytime she would leave the house and we'd be like, okay, see you. Have a good day. Or she'd come home like, hey, how's it going? And she would never even, like, respond Mm-hmm. She would just completely, like, walk in and out like, <laughs> like we were in there. And we tried to be like, you know, hey, do you want to watch a movie? Do you want to have dinner or something? And, like, she never seemed interested in communicating with us in any way, shape, or form. Um, you guys weren't have lizard any- people. Because we weren't lizard people. Uh, I started to notice, really, not only was she not coming out of her bathroom, or not coming out of her room to, like, get food or anything. She wasn't ordering a lot of food, like... She didn't have any, literally any groceries, but I was like, she really doesn't even come out to go to the bathroom. Like sometimes when she does go to the bathroom, the door is open. She'll go back and forth with the shower and there's something she's doing in the shower, but it's not taking a shower. So I don't know what it is that's going on. What? Mm -hmm. So then once Val was working from home, Some things, some pieces started to fall into place and we started to see some stuff that we hadn't seen before because we weren't home. So she was definitely dumping some kind of bucket out of the window of her bedroom. I saw her do it. I physically watched it happen one day. See, Sarah saw it too. I seen it. I saw her dump some weird, not clear, soapy liquid I don't know, it had bubbles in it on the ground. So we asked her, like, hey, what are you dumping out the window? Because, like, it's getting on the house and, like, it's getting on the windows and stuff. And she would repeatedly be like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I saw you! (laughs) And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. One day, now she was working from home and Val was also working from home. 
Val was talking about, like, Val started yelling, and I was like, what's going on? What's going on? And this liquid was inside the window in the living room. Like, the window was open, and the liquid had come down inside the window and had, like, splashed onto the couch and on Val and, like, on their work computer. And Val was like, you need to come clean this up. You need to come clean this up. And I went up there like, hey, whatever it is that you're dumping out the window. She was like, I can't. I'm working right now. I was like, whatever you're dumping out the window, it just got all over Val and their work computer. And she was like, I didn't pour anything out the window. Bitch. And I was like, girl, it's everywhere. We've seen you do it. Like, whatever it is, it's getting inside the house. It's on Val. It's on their computer. And then she was like, oh, later she came down and she was like, oh, there's a bucket I keep in my room that I, like, wash vegetables in. <laughs> It's just a like, sink downstairs. That's what the sink is for. And she's like, I didn't dump it. It, like, spilled. Okay, maybe this time you didn't dump it out the window, which I don't believe. No. But either way, it is the bucket of shit, water, whatever the fuck it is over there that you pour out the window. But she just kept being like, I don't see that. I don't know what she's talking about. So then what I realized the fuck? when she was going to the shower, what she's doing is she's rinsing out that bucket. <laughs> And she would be rinsing out the bucket and, I don't know, filling it with more water, whatever. I don't think it's water. I think she was pissing in the bucket. To this day, I think she was pissing in the bucket. And then the chemicals that we were smelling was, like, whatever she was putting in the bucket to to make it not the smell smell of her piss. Why won't she, why wouldn't she pee? Okay, so then does she never poop? Did she never poop? Not that I knew of. Not unless she was, like... A stealth pooper. A stealth pooper. Did she never shower? Not that I knew of. Not when I was home. What about her hair? What did her, her hair, hair look like? She had, now that you mentioned, like, she had to have showered because I know I would see her hair in the shower. And I know I had a coffee body scrub that before Val moved in was going away. So she had to have been fucking using it. <laughs> <laughs> so to add to all of that, Val and I were in the backyard because we, this was last summer, I believe. Not this past summer, but the summer before. And we were, you know, we had this yard pool and we were doing stuff in the yard and setting things up. And I found a cat skull. Oh, girl, we have talked about this on the show because I I will not shut up about it. I know we have, (laughs) but I'm bringing it back around for the whole story for people who've only heard bits and pieces. Now, we have a lot of stray cats. So my first thought at the time was that it was the skull of a stray cat that got in a scuffle because there have been stray cats, like, all through our backyard. We named a bunch of them and, like, we would feed them and stuff. But I was talking about, like, taking the skull in and, like, putting it in it, like, bleaching it and, like, putting it in something. And the idea really freaked Val out. And so I didn't do it. And I was like, okay, whatever. So then Val was, like, poking at it one day, I guess. And Val found a collar and was like, what was your roommate's cat's name? (laughs) And I was like, I don't know. It was, like, Marvin or... And Val's like, Marv? And I was like, "Uh, I think so. And there was a phone number on it. And Val put the phone number into their phone and my roommate's phone. <laughs> came up. She my- ate that cat. Sarah's convinced that she killed the cat. I definitely she- think she killed the cat and like just ba- she definitely buried it in a shallow grave. 
She did. That is what I can confirm. I'm like, I don't know why. She has family in Jersey. I don't know why she would have buried it six inches deep in a <laughs> the backyard of a South Philly row home. I don't. But that's what she did. It's weird. Uh, so Val tried to bury it some more. And then our landlord redid the whole backyard. So we don't know what happened with it. But he probably got rid of it. Or it uh, just got chopped up and it's underneath all those stones. Mm. So the last little snippet of a story about her is, uh, this is the second to last. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> this is, uh, so while we were still in the house, right? So we used to get HelloFresh, me and Val, HelloFresh every plate, right? We've tried all of them. And those boxes are good to be out for at least two or three days, right? Because they're made to ship. And she had a box come to our house and she, mind you, did not live there anymore. And we were like, hey, you have a HelloFresh box. You should come pick it up. And she was like, okay, I'll be there today or tomorrow. And we're like, okay. So we didn't put it in the fridge because we were like, she said she'd be here today or tomorrow. This is good for like two or three days. Then we were like out of town <laughs> and we were gone for like two days and we came back and that box was still there. And, like, we hadn't put it in the fridge because we thought she was coming to get it that day. Like, the day she yeah, said. Yeah, like she, she said, did. because it's food. Because it's food. And I was like, do we worry about it? Do we not worry about it? And Val's like, I don't really know. Um, and so then she came by when Val was at the house alone. And she saw that the box was out. And she was pissed. <laughs> and she was like, why isn't this in the fridge? And Val was like, well, like, we thought you were coming to get it. And then you were gone. Like, we were gone. So, like, sorry. But these things are good for, like, two or three days. Like, you should just open it and check and, you know, see. And she just, like, huffed and left the house and left the box. I was like, did she not take the box? She did not take the box. Oh, my and God. She didn't even open it. Oh, my so God. She messaged something to Val um, where... Uh, like Val was like hey like are you gonna take this box because like it's still here and she's like no because you didn't put it in the fridge and Val was like well like they should be good but like you didn't you didn't check it or whatever like we've had these come super late and they've all they've been fine like as long as the ice pack is still frozen it's cool and she was like you had stuff come when you weren't home and I put it in the fridge because I'm not a jackass which that's the boldest that this bitch has ever, ever been. been okay like she's never outright wow. called us names or like fought or anything uh, but she's the word jackass, and we're like, wow, that's fucking rich. She must be really um, pissed. Girl. So, her name is the only name that was on the lease. The day that we moved out, we took everything that was ours. There was some shit still there that was hers. And we left our keys. We took everything out, and we let the landlord know, hey, we've left our keys. Because he was kept telling us, like, I have to do a walkthrough with your roommate because she's the one on the lease. And we're yeah. like, no problem. And, you know, I have to send her a security deposit. Okay, cool. No problem. So we left the keys and we left the house and everything was cleaned out. We've talked to our landlord since because we've had mail. We've had to go pick it up and stuff. She like ghosted the landlord. <laughs> what? He was like, hey, like you need to come walk the house with me so I can get your security deposit. And like we can go over anything that needs to be fixed or repaired. And he's tried to call her and he's texted her. And she has not responded to any of his or our messages since then. Has she, did she give him her keys back or does she still have her keys? I have no idea. She still had a key because she had a key because she came when me and Val were living there to get the box, but then she didn't take the box. What? So she ghosted 
the landlord, who has a security deposit for her that's probably over two grand. And she's just like, nah. She's ghost him. She didn't ghost him. What do lizards do? Do they, like, crawl into holes? She, like, crawled into a hole somewhere. She's like, I need to, like, shed this skin and come out as something else. Now, but right before we moved, like, within days of the moving, I went to the dollar store up the street from us um, to get something. And I turned around, and I was about to get in line, and the person that that would have been in front of me in the line was my roommate. (gasps) And I turned around... (laughs) Did you guys, did she see you? I don't think so. And if she did, she didn't act like she did. But she probably um, wouldn't. I hid. Right. That's what I was thinking, too. I hid in that Dollar Tree until she left. And then (laughs) I made my purchase and I got my car and drove down our street. And I saw her walking down our street. So, like, I know Val said that she moved, like, further away but her car was still par- parked on our block for weeks after she moved. What? Mm-hmm. And I saw her walking down our street with stuff from the dollar store. So Stephanie. I don't know where she moved. Stephanie. <laughs> Stephanie. But Sh- these girl. are all real things about this person. Girl, you know what and- happened. She never moved out of that house. Oh, my God. She moved into the walls. She moved into the walls. Like Brahms. Yes. Or like that kid who did that. Or like a lizard. Like a lizard person. And she's hiding in that house. And now you guys are finally gone. Girl. Ooh, girl. So um, I feel a little bitchy to to just spend my episode talking shit about somebody. So I'm not condoning that. But, I mean, y'all, it was a weird experience. She was a super weird person. And this is our many, conspiracy theory, and we do many, conspiracy theories. There are many theories. weird interactions with her, none of them lasting more than 30 seconds in two years of living together. So weird. It was weird. And it was weird enough that I was like, is that podcast? I, I didn't think necessarily it was podcast worthy, but Christina was like, you should totally talk about that on the podcast. Yeah, I feel like that's something that we'll find out. People are either going to be like, you know, wow, she was weird, or they're going to be like, you guys are jackasses. Because <laughs> I'm not trying to be mean, and I tried to befriend her many times, but she was determined to be a fucking weirdo, so that's what happened. There we go. We hear dead time stories. That's it. So don't be a weirdo to live with. Don't be a fucking weirdo jerk. There you go. Sarah, what are you talking about this week? I'm so excited, because I know you're so excited. I am. I'm so excited. Y'all listen to this. She got notes. I printed them. I tapped them and I printed them. I'm so excited. Um, I'm stoked, Stephanie. Also, because I feel like you'll be familiar with this topic, but it's going to be a good one to talk about. Um, Stephanie, what do you know? Well, not what do you know? I'm going to talk to you about Heaven's Gate. That's a cult, right? Yes. Okay. So. I know. I, I, right? I was like, I know enough to know it's a cult. But, like, I can't... I'm like, which one are they? Okay, when I talk about it, you're going to be like, oh, right, that one. Okay. So, Heaven's Gate, it's an American UFO religious cult that was founded in 1974 by a Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. Okay. All right? So, this... One other big thing about Heaven's Gate, not only what ends up happening at the end... But it's the fact that this is um, sort of the first well-known American cult 
that utilize the internet as a way to sort of reach followers or recruit people because I'm like it's it's coming to me it's coming to me so they start they they used the internet and that's going to be something that's going to come back in later but first we're going to talk a little bit about our founders Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles so Marshall Applewhite was the son of a Presbyterian minister and he began his foray into biblical prophecy in the early 1970s After being fired from the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas, over an alleged relationship with one of his male students, he met, of course, he met Miss Bonnie Nettles, a 44-year-old nurse with an interest in theosophy and biblical prophecy. The pair met in March of 1972, and according to Apple White's writings, the two met in a hospital where she worked while he was visiting a sick friend. But if you do research on this, there are rumors and stories that say they met in a psychiatric hospital when Nettles was there as a nurse and he was there as a patient. Oh, shit. After, like, diving into biblical prophecy and being kicked out of as a professor for his homosexual tendencies. Sure. So... Applewhite later recalled after that first meeting with Nettles that he felt as though he had known her for a long time and concluded that they had definitely met in a past life. Oh, definitely. (laughs) She told him their meeting had been foretold to her by extraterrestrials, persuading him that he had a divine assignment. Okay. So together, the two of them pondered life, death, religion, and science fiction. Love it. That's a great combo. They also, a lot of um, their teachings will reference like Star Trek to a degree Mm -hmm. and things like that and Star Wars. So by June 19th of the same year, 1972, Applewhite and Nettles' beliefs had solidified into a basic outline. They concluded that the two of them had been chosen to fulfill biblical prophecies and that they had been given higher level minds than other people. They wrote a pamphlet. Right. They wrote a pamphlet that described Jesus's reincarnation. Get this, Stephanie. Jesus's reincarnation as a Texan, which was a thinly veiled reference to Applewhite. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So this is how you grew up, right? (laughs) Basically, I was like, well, number one, I'm obviously a chosen one from God because I'm a Texan. So Texas. Duh. Are you familiar with the song God Bless Texas? Yes, of course. Just making sure. With his own hand? Yeah. He brought down angels from the promised land. I feel like, isn't that like the Cowboys theme song? Is it? I feel oh like God. that's what I I have definitely seen the Cowboys cheerleaders dance to that dance song. To that song. I know that song from listening to country music as a kid. Yeah. There you go. God bless Texas. And Jesus decided to reincarnate as a Texan named Marshall Applewhite. 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 Furthermore. Marshall Applewhite. Marshall Applewhite. And I'm, I'm here to teach you about Jesus. Well, Jesus and the aliens. I'm the reincarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Blue collar America, eat your heart out. Oh my gosh. Um, so... Furthermore, the two of them also concluded that they were two witnesses described in the book of Revelation, and they would occasionally visit churches or other spiritual groups to speak of their identities, often referring to themselves as the two or the UFO two. Okay. They believed they would be killed and then restored 
to life and, in view of others, transported onto a spaceship. And this event they referred to as the demonstration was to prove their claims. Eventually, Applewhite and Nettles resolved that they needed to contact extraterrestrials, and in doing so, they needed to find more like-minded followers. So they stopped at that point. No, they started touring the country. They Mm -hmm. published advertisements for meetings where they recruited disciples, and when they started to kind of build a little following, they called themselves The Crew. All right. They're like, you know, I'm here with The Crew. That's modern for apostles. It's modern for UFO hitchhikers. (laughs) In September of 1975, while they were out gathering followers on this cross-country trip, The group visited a small town of Waldport, Oregon, to give a lecture about how UFOs were soon going to make contact with the human race. And according to an article in the New York Times, roughly 150 people packed into a motel hall to hear Applewhite's lecture. At first, the town thought it was a joke, but soon 20 people, or one in 30 residents of the town, packed up, told their loved ones goodbye, and drove off. Jesus Christ. Where they ended up going was another meeting uh, of about 400 people in Grand Junction, Colorado, who believed that at that meeting they would be visited by aliens. That, of course, never happened. And thankfully, all of the people in this group went back home to their families. Good for them. So over the years... They didn't didn't all die in a mass suicide? No. Though not that group. (laughs) Applewhite and Nettles used... Where did you think this was going to go? Were you down with the cult until that point? Well, I was just like, I assume uh, is now most of them end. And I'm like, oh, this one didn't end that way. Oh, this group of people didn't end that way. Only this group went back home. Okay, so Applewhite and Nettles use a variety of aliases over the years while they traveled. Most notably, they were known as Bo and Peep and Doe and T. The group itself also had a variety of names prior to the adoption of the final name Heaven's Gate. Before, at one point, it was known as Human Individual Metamorphosis, acronym of HIM. Uh, The group... I hate it. I hate it so much. (laughs) The group reinvented and renamed itself several times and had a variety of recruitment methods. So throughout the late 70s and early 80s, as their belief system developed around the cult of personalities, their membership grew. Some sociologists agree that the popular movement of alternative religious experience and individualism found in collective spiritual experiences during that period helped to contribute to the growth of a new religious movement. Mm -hmm. So people were basically tired of your same old cookie cutter religion. Why can't all religions meld together? Let's think about this in a different way. Well, we have one big religion. Yeah. And apparently, as far as I didn't know this, this movement was known as Shilaism. That's the only way I can think of how Sheila-ism? to pronounce it. Shilaism. That's the way it's spelled. Shilaism. Shilaism? Shilaism? I can only say it like that. Shilaism. Shilaism. Um, After, you know, my girl Sheila over here. <laughs> she got an ism, but, you know, we That's don't have health um, insurance. That's Christina's mom's name. That's my mom's name. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So as it became known was a way for people to merge their diverse religious backgrounds and coalesce around a shared generalized faith. 
Many of Applewhite and Nettle's crew hailed from these very diverse backgrounds, and most of them are described by researchers as being longtime truth seekers or spiritual hippies who had long since believed in attempting to find themselves through spiritual means, combining face in a sort of cultural milieu well into the mid-80s. I'm in this picture and I don't like it. (laughs) As recruit numbers grew in its pre-internet days, the clan of UFO followers all seemed to have in common a need for communal belonging in an alternative path to higher existence without the constraints of institutionalized faith. So in the beginning, their plan was that they had hoped to be beamed up into space, taking bodies with them into the next level, which is their version of heaven. Don't we all? But in 1985, when Nettles died of cancer, so his cohort, his cohort, hey, hold on a second. My roommate's texting me. My computer's about to die because he's getting a dog right now. Pause. Love it. So in 1985, the second founder died of cancer. And at that point, Applewhite amended his teachings to say that they would be given a new body in the next level so their life bodies here on Earth wouldn't necessarily go with them. The group acknowledged that death might be necessary if they were to be picked up by the alien spacecraft. Fuck. (laughs) But they appeared to have held up hope that maybe they could do it without dying. It was also after Nettle's death that the crew gained an eventual reputation as a cyber culture form of religious thought reform. By the mid-90s, the group had become reclusive, identifying themselves using the business name Higher Source and using their website to proselytize and recruit followers. At this point, rumors began spreading throughout the group in the following years that the upcoming comet, Haley Bop, housed the secret to their ultimate salvation and ascendance into the kingdom of heaven, also known as the next level. So (sighs) the next level, here's some other crazy shit. The next level was a place without gender and that led to castration for some of them here on earth. What? Applewhite and other members underwent the procedure to help ensure that they remained celibate. Applewhite, who had been fired as a music professor from the University of St. Thomas in 1970 after administrators learned he had had sex with a male student, sought cures for his homosexual urges. He wanted to find a way to have platonic relationship where he could develop his full potential without sexual entanglements, said one reporter who had infiltrated the group in 1975. Castration, Applewhite believed, could make that easier. Ultimately, the group instituted a strict no sex, no human level relationships, no socializing rule. Though decisions like this were always left up to the members, eight followers were castrated voluntarily, including Applewhite. They couldn't stop smiling and giggling, a former member told Newsweek. They were excited about it. Jesus Christ. Right? That's a lot. Another requirement to attain your admittance into the next level, aside from abandoning your family and turning over all of your money because it's a cult, is that... That's, yeah, that's always that's a part That's of it. like, Just that's so baseline. You know. Baseline. If you don't know, now you know. We're here to, to spit facts and enlighten you. That's true. 
the other thing is that members were asked to cleanse their bodies of the impure influence of things like fast food, fast food, like fast food and impure sexual thoughts. That often included things like the master cleanse. Do you remember that? Where you drink a mixture of lemonade, cayenne pepper, and maple syrup, and that's all that you drink for like seven days? These people would do it for three months at a time. That's all they would drink. Three months at a time. That's fucking terrifying. So, in October of 1996, members of the clan began renting a large home, which they called the Monastery, which was a 9,200-square-foot mansion located in Rancho Santa Fe, California. They paid $7 per month in cash. In the same month, get this, the group purchased alien abduction insurance that would cover up to 50 members and would pay out $1 million per person. The policy covered abduction, impregnation, or death by aliens. (laughs) Did you know that that was a real thing that existed? Now, who covered this policy? That I don't know, but I want it. I'm like, what insurance company offers that? I don't. And that's, how, that's what I want to know. How do I prove that I was impregnated by an alien? <laughs> was that one for of that them? one I million dollars? Impregnated? Oh, it's impregnated or killed by an alien? Or like death. any of them by an? Yes. Okay. Okay. I was like, if an alien is responsible for any of those things, it's, yeah. Okay. So, on March nineteenth through March twentieth of nineteen ninety seven, Marshall Applewhite taped himself in what he called "Do's Final Exit." speaking of mass suicide and the only way to evacuate this Earth. After asserting that a spacecraft was trailing Comet Haley-Bopp and that this event would represent the closure to Heaven's Gate, Applewhite persuaded 38 of his followers to prepare for ritual suicide so their souls could board the supposed craft. Applewhite believed that after their deaths, an unidentified flying object would take their souls to another level of existence above human, which he described as being both physical and spiritual. Their preparations included each member's videotaping a farewell message. To kill themselves, they took uh, barbiturates mixed with applesauce or pudding and washed it down with vodka. Additionally, they secured plastic bags around their heads after ingesting the mix to induce asphyxiation. Here's where you'll probably remember it. All 39 of them were dressed in identical black shirts and sweatpants, brand new black and white Nike Decades Athletics shoes, and armbands reading Heaven's Gate Away Team, and also a purple cloth over the top half of their body so that only their feet with the white Nikes were sticking out. Each member had on their person a $5 bill and three quarters in their pockets. The $5 bill was to cover vagrancy fines while members were out on jobs, while the quarters were there to make phone calls. Though the cult was found on Wednesday, March 26, coroner's reports showed that the suicides were far from simultaneous. The 39 adherents, 21 women and 18 men between the ages of 26 and 72, are believed to have died in three groups over three successive days, with remaining participants cleaning up after each prior group's death. Once a member was dead, a living member would arrange the body by removing the plastic bag from the person's head, followed by posing the body so that it lay neatly on its own bed with faces and torsos covered by a square purple cloth for privacy. 
The identical clothing was used as a uniform for the mass suicide to represent unity, whilst the Nike Decade shoes were chosen because the group got a good deal on them. Oh, no. They also, if you find a pair of those, someone was selling them on eBay, like not one of the actual pairs, but a pair of them for like $6,000 because of this suicide. Oh, I believe it. Labeled the routine, um, the document outlined the process in which 15 people would kill themselves, then eight other people assisted by eight other people. Then a second group of 15 would kill themselves as assisted by eight people. And then it would be a final group of nine. Apple white was the third to last member to die. And the two people who died after him were the only ones who would be found without bags over there would be found with bags over their head and not having purple cloths over the top half. Before the last of the suicide, similar sets of packages were sent to numerous Heaven's Gate affiliated or formerly affiliated individuals. Among those in the list of these recipients was a Rio D'Angelo. The package he received on the evening of March 25th contained two VHS tapes, one with the Dew's final exit and the other with the farewell messages of the followers. It also contained a letter stating that, among other things, we have exited our vehicles just as we have entered them. Upon informing his boss of the contents of the packages, D'Angelo received a ride from him from Los Angeles to the Heaven's Gate home in Rancho Santa Fe so he could verify the letter. D'Angelo found a back door purposely left open to allow access and used a video camera to record what he found. After leaving the house, D'Angelo's boss, who had waited outside, encouraged him to make calls to the authorities, alerting them to his discovery. The San Diego County Sheriff's Department received an anonymous tip through the 911 system on March 26, suggesting that they check on the welfare of the residents at the monastery that they called it. Days after the suicides, they realized that the caller was D'Angelo. The transcription from the call just says, he says, um, D'Angelo says, I need to report an anonymous tip. Who do I talk to? The sheriff's department says, okay, what is this regarding? He says, this is regarding a mass suicide and I can give you the address. The single deputy who first responded to the call entered the home through a side door and saw 10 bodies and was nearly overcome by a pungent odor. The bodies were already decomposing in the hot California weather. I mean, because the first set of bodies was already dead. You know yeah, what I mean? already like, dead oh for three, four days. All 39 bodies were ultimately cremated. At least three former members of Heaven's Gate ultimately died by suicide themselves in the months after the mass suicide event. On May 6, in 1997, Wayne Cook and Chuck Humphrey attempted suicide in a hotel in a manner similar to the one used by the group. Cook died, but Humphrey survived the attack. Another former member, James Perky Jr., died by suicide by a self-inflicted gunshot wound on May 11th. And Humphrey, who had survived his first attempt, ultimately killed himself in Arizona in 1998. The last thing I'll say about this story before we have to wrap up is the big thing that Heaven's Gate is still kind of known for other than the Nike sneakers is the website. One of the ways that Heaven's Gate paid their bills and paid that $7,000 a month rent was they had a web design group called Higher Source and they used their own personal website to recruit new team members and then they worked and created websites for other people. Clients described the company as as having employees that were diligent and professional. They said they didn't look particularly unusual unusual for computer experts. 
that they looked completely unassuming. Damn. To this day, the Heaven's Gate website and domain is still live online. What? There are two people still left behind who did not commit suicide. It is believed that the pair behind the website are Mark and Sarah King, who again are the last two remaining members of Heaven's Gate, though they declined to identify themselves in interviews and correspondence. The last thing we have, or the most recent thing we have from them, they said, the information must be available to mankind in preparation for their return. We don't know when that will be, but those who are interested will find the information. And if you Google Heaven's Gate, it'll be the first thing that pops up on Google. The domain what? is still there. And it's great because what? it looks like a 90s designed website. Like they have not updated it. They haven't changed it at all. Nope. The information is all there. So wow. that's my story on Heaven's Gate. And I have to like literally run out the door and go to rehearsal. <laughs> So come see Eurydice, or don't come see it. We're not doing it. We'll stream it. It's going to go live next week. That's wild. See Sarah and Eurydice from Ellen's Lane. It's going to be online. Support our podcast. Go to our Patreon. $1, $5, $15. Email us, deadtimestories, with a Z, all one word, at gmail.com. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Take a screenshot. We'll send you a picture. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Stephanie. I'm Sarah. And, and this, this has been, been Dead Time Stories. Thank you for listening. We said quickie, and it's still like 48 minutes. I know. <laughs> Bye. Now it's a romantic love session. Dead Time Stories is hosted by Sarah Heddens and Stephanie C. Curnison. Music and editing by Eric Gershnow. Artwork by Rennie Slackman. 